Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 23 of The Amber Spyglass, No Way Out. Did you hear the runs of my voice? And God, I'm so oh, talented. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Who are you? Jessie J. Yeah. Ariana Grande. Uh, they call me Haley Miss Williams if you're nasty, actually. Of course, of course. How could I forget? <laughs> How are you? I'm good, I think. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I think I'm good. I've been so busy today, and I'm sure you're, you're the same. I haven't really had time yeah. to think about how I am. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. (laughs) Same. I've been very like on it today. We've both been very on it with podcast stuff. And if you follow us on Instagram, you'll have noticed we did a really fun behind the scenes of a day doing all the podcast stuff in our stories. And it was really fun. Yes. I'm going to make it an Instagram highlight. So if you missed it, it'll be it'll be up there. Uh, Yeah. No, very fun. Like, Kind of very distracting. I definitely didn't make notes as fast as I usually would, but also I am a massive procrastinator, so I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. It was nice to do something different. It was inspired by Goblet of Wine, our pals over at Goblet of Wine, who did a similar thing with their editing process. And we both watched that on their Instagram stories and we thought it was really fun. So we did we did something mm-hmm. similar. But yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, today is a very podcasty day, more so than usual, because usually we make our podcast notes the day before we record and we usually record on a weeknight but today we were like no this this is sunday it's the lord's day and we're going to use it for his dark materials because we really love that poeticness <laughs> of it yeah absolutely <laughs> for sure and i guess because i work most weekends now i was like i at least want saturday to not work and i'll just do it all on sunday yes I never know what to talk about in the intro now because I actually just don't do much anymore because I just always work. (laughs) But I guess when this episode comes out, we will have seen the first episode of the new season. Oh my God, we will, won't we? Yeah. So we um, got invited to a screening by the lovely Historic Materials TV show PR people who are great and who we've got got to know, I guess, over the years we've been doing this. And yeah... They invited us to a screening on Wednesday. So we're recording this on Sunday, the 20th. And the screening is on Wednesday, the 23rd, I'm guessing. It's this Wednesday. This Wednesday. I just saw Wednesday and was like, it's probably in December. Yeah. My brain. Ooh, that's exciting. It's literally this Wednesday. <laughs> I love that you didn't know that. I was like, yes, it's I've, this Wednesday. I don't know dates. This is the time of the year when everything is a mad scramble of mushy nothingness that's kind of scented like mulled wine. Like that's that's what this season is for. <laughs> fair. That's fair. But yeah, it's this Wednesday. We'll have seen it by the time this episode comes out. We'll have also hopefully spoken to Amir, Jane and 
Jack, Jack Thorne. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk to Jack Thorne. We've wanted to talk to him for a long time. So much. Yes, yes. Hopefully we get a chance to have a decent conversation with them. But as we know at live events, it can quite often just be a very snappy five minutes. So we'll see what we can get. <laughs> for sure. But I'm super excited. Uh, yeah. I can't wait. It's so soon. It's so soon. I'm, yeah, I'm very excited for it. I don't think I'll be able to wait because we'll be watching this and then we st- we still don't know. I'm hoping they might tell us the air dates yeah. <laughs> at this event. Maybe we can ask Jane. we Jin. still won't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's ask Jane. Let's put that as yeah. one of our questions. But yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be so much fun. It'll be really interesting. And I just yeah. can't wait. I just can't wait to see it. And you know what? I feel really fancy because it is properly like, it's a, it's a premiere. Are you, we're going to dress up fancy, shall we? So the Wednesday one is the screening. We've also been exi- uh, invited to the BFI, uh, I guess. I don't know if they're labelling it as a premiere. Yeah. But that was the one where they were like, oh, all the cast and creatives will be there and it'll be a really fun night. That's the one where I'm like, that's in December. I'm like, hmm. We'll definitely, we'll definitely dress up for that ball. Yeah. I'll, I'll dress up for anything, mate. I mean, you will, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's fine when you dress up for stuff because that's just your normal aesthetic. When I dress up for stuff, people are like, oh, my God. What is what is happening? Who died? Who's getting yeah. married? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who died or who's getting married? Yes, exactly that. <laughs> so, I don't know if we have anything. This is what I mean. We don't know. We don't do much these days, do we? We're not out and about in the world. Sound like much. me now. I don't bloody don't watch these days. Oh, I don't do, do anything. I'm not like you kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> what has been going on with us? Not a whole heck of a lot, and it's actually been really nice that not a lot's been going on because I am. An exhausted person. Yes, same. I'm here for it. I'm here for a cosy Sunday where all I do is make podcast notes and record a podcast. Who, need, who needs to leave the house? Also me. I did go out. I went, went and met you in the pub on Friday and sure. that was really lovely. That was nice. And then um, Kevin and Hannah came over last night and we played the board game that Faye refuses to learn because she doesn't like a board game if the rules sound like they might get boring after about 30 seconds. Yeah. So we played the Betrayal at House on the Hill and it was very fun. But I get really anxious when I have to, because the whole vibe of the board game is you're playing as a co-op exploring a haunted house and at a certain point something spooky happens and maybe one of the players gets in my case, turned into a giant two-headed he- headed snake whose new mission is to consume the house and everybody in it. Um, and so I had to play against everyone else and I was like, oh. Oh, no. But I, I, don't, I don't want you to not be my friend. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I won, so oh, nice. I mean, I am uh, an Ouroboros that will consume the world, apparently. Nice. Love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rich and Johnny get really mad at me because I don't like to learn board games that are really difficult. Yeah. It's not that I'm doing it on purpose. I just My brain just can't take in the information and I just shut down and it's just a big nerve from me. But I do enjoy playing board games. I just can't learn them. I can learn some. Depends what they are. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you put in the effort to learn the Buffy board game. And I'm just saying, is there a His Dark Materials board game? Is there a Golden Compass? There's probably a Golden Compass board game off the back of the movie because there was a video game which we still need to play. I was literally just going to say we still need to play the video game. I'm going to find out because if there is a board game, that is the one thing I will force you to learn. I'll learn that. I do <laughs> you learn will the learn Buffy it. one. And the Buffy one is <laughs> yeah. the most complicated fucking board game ever. Yes. And we need to play the game that I have that I think is basically like trying to read the alethiometer, but as charades. Oh, yeah. It's called Concept. And you basically have like a big list of symbols and they mean 
different things and you have to try and communicate a concept to the other players and so to me it's just like the early theometer and we haven't played that yet and we should and we should film it absolutely <laughs> for patreon we should, we should we should we should okay i'm gonna tell everybody about our t-shirts again yes we're both wearing them we are both wearing them <laughs> i just like shoved my boobs at the camera we're both yes. wearing them <laughs> we are and the, when this episode comes out it's the last couple of weeks although no it'll be the last week won't it the last week that you can order a tea for the december mail out dates um and it's one of those where we can't promise that they'll be there by christmas because of time that it takes to post to places royal mail strikes all that kind of stuff yes the strike dates have changed as well and so there are much more there are more strike dates in december now than there originally were scheduled to be so there will be much more likelihood of postage delays throughout the month of december so that is we support we support the strikes absolutely but it is also something we need to encourage people to be patient about because these things take time royal mail pay people better and stop asking them to do ridiculous work hours and messing with their shifts and their lives and then we can all get the post on time yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so please place your orders if you do want t-shirts we just can't guarantee that they'll be there in time for christmas but you will get them at some point in january i would imagine yeah keep it going as yeah. long as possible just keep opening presents as they arrive absolutely the <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and we've said it before but it really helps uh really helps us as a podcast to carry on going you know because it takes I, I hopefully the stories that we did today and that are on our highlights kind of show how much work goes into the pod i guess yeah and this is all before we even get to the editing and proofreading and all of that stuff mixing and mastering and artwork fun. and setup <laughs> and description writing and uploading and all that kind of stuff there's a lot so mm -hmm. uh, it does help because uh, it takes a lot of time and love to uh, to make this this here pod yeah the amount of work it takes means it shows you just how much we do love it because i I'm aware that sometimes I'm like, do people think I even enjoy doing this? Because sometimes I do have a grumble because I'm like, oh, I'm tired and I've got a podcast episode to put out and oh, there's editing to do. But if we, the amount of work that goes into it shows if we didn't love doing it, we would have quit a long time ago. For sure, yeah. <laughs> it's so 100%. much work. It really is so much work. It's literally a full-time job, which is why we sometimes fall behind on stuff because we both have other jobs that we need to do yeah. uh, to make money. <laughs> to live so uh yeah if the pod was our full-time job it would uh there'd be a mo lot more like sparkly shiny things on it i think than would, <laughs> sometimes yes. it feels like we're literally like pushing it like out of the door in a really frantic way um but we we try we try our best with the limited time we have honestly my editing goof on the last episode i was banging my head against my desk because oh, I couldn't yeah. work out why we sounded we just sounded really horrendous I was like I don't know what I've done I don't know what filter I've put on the audio it didn't happen when I de like took the noise away it didn't because I do all these things to our voices to make us sound less echoey and less like fuzzy and just make it a bit nicer for your ear holes and I was like I've done something I've messed it up turns out I just slowed us down by like 0.1% so we sounded really like uh, when we were talking we sounded like a tiny bit you were like obviously vocal fry central but we also sounded like a, the teeniest bit stoned just like uh, yeah. and I was like oh, okay <laughs> I actually don't think people would have minded like, or even maybe noticed you know I would but... have maybe if if I'd have had like a little warning at the start of the episode like sorry we've got an audio because I was all fully ready to record sorry we've got an audio issue like 
disclaimer at the beginning so people could decide if they could put up with it or not and then I was like after five minutes I'll probably get used to it but yeah the episode got like a little bit shorter when I fixed it because <laughs> we were talking <laughs> at the normal speed again <laughs> amazing I love that oh uh, yes uh well shall we should we do a podcast speaking of podcasts let's record one yeah yes. let's do it Oh, hi. What would your demon have been this week? So, I'm finding increasingly, I've said this in every episode recently, I don't have a lot of brain space left to think of demons. So, like, when I've made my notes and stuff, I I used to, like, Google, like, different animals, and now I just think of the animals that appear in my head. But this one did feel right. I've never phoned it in. They all feel right. I just wish I had more time to, like, Google as to whether the animal that I'm thinking of, there's a better version that relates to me or something like that. But I do think that this one's quite, it feels right this week. So I went on a walk around a reservoir in a place called Diggle. What a great name. Diggle. Diggle. It's a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were loads of ducks in it, loads of mallards in it. And I was just like, I haven't picked my mallard duck demon in ages i was trying to think of things that would be in the reservoirs and like swimming in the reservoir but a lot of like i guess the aquatic life that i enjoy are much more likely to be in the sea or the ocean so i was like "Mm, i don't want a particular fish or whatever that actually lives in a reservoir so i was like okay well i did see loads of ducks and they were really like do you know like sometimes you see like london ducks and they're like scabby as fuck (laughs) yes yeah they were like beautiful ducks and i was like posh ducks yes i was like i want one of those thank you very much nice yeah what about you i am gonna go with i know i've done it before but i visited my parents last weekend and they obviously have i've mentioned him before my beautiful fur sibling jake he's a collie he's gorgeous he's very well behaved and we love him a lot and he does this really funny thing where he chases his tail and bites on it for ages it's very cute but I, uh, my parents are also dog sitting for my auntie's dogs, which is my parents' dog, Jake. It's his mom and his brother and his like great auntie Tess, who is the like old sheep dog that is like, she like watches over them. And so basically it's just been like collie central. And we, mum and dad like drive down to my auntie's house and take Jake with them. And then they just release all three dogs into the field and they run around like mad, like in a pack and like, I'm like, do you do do they remember that you know that Pip's the mom and Sam's the brother, or do they all just run around like? Ah. Um, if I had a demon, it would be a collie, and it would absolutely love running around and around yeah. and around and around with all the other collies and chasing a tennis ball and wrestling and just yeah yeah just a big fluffy collie that wants to do a long walk through a muddy field with lots of other dogs and join the pack. Amazing. Um, I think that's the thing, yeah. Especially because tis the weather for like good long walks because it's like crisp. It's crisp out there. It is. I like it. (laughs) It's crisp and wet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. Very cute. Very cute. Very cute. Yeah. Okay. Should we get into it? Let's get into it. Let's bloody do it. Yes. last chapter, Lyra, Will and the spies met the inhabitants of the Land of the Dead. They asked the ghosts for their help to try and find Roger. In this chapter, Lyra is finally reunited with Roger and tells him of her plans to free the ghosts. Will discovers that they are trapped where they are until they can find higher ground. 
Tally and Sally negotiate with the Harpies who agree to take them to a place where they may be able to cut free. We're in. We're in. We're it's in. a chapter. And it's we're a doing chapter. it. Here we are. So, what do you think the picture is? Ooh. Um, is it like the tree that Lyra sits under when she's telling them stories and the Harpies sit on it? It, yeah, I actually think it is, but I'm a little bit confused as to what, like, because it looks, hang on, can you see? Can you see it? Okay, so yeah, it's just like a, maybe it's just one branch of the tree. Yeah, and I can't tell whether, like, there's supposed to be half is all leaves on it, but they're, like, really crudely drawn squares, I guess. I can't believe you're dissing Phil's I mean, drawing skills, Faye. I'm not being so funny, rude. but Phil has <laughs> got halfway through Stick to right in. <laughs> Yes, he's got halfway through this book and thought, fuck it, I can't be asked." Amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably what I'm going to end up drawing as well. So, Fair. Yeah. Fair. It's because there's not a lot much else that happens in this chapter. No, not really. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot that happens, but not a lot that can be drawn, I guess. Yeah, like the scenery doesn't change a lot. There's not like... It's a very iconic chapter with some very iconic moments, but the imagery in it is kind of one image. Yeah really what do you think about the quote i feel like it is a very famous quote i guess um although well i don't know what this it's got to be using so so many pop culture things for me to know what it is because that's where i get all my frames of reference from really is pop culture and the thing that i thought about it is obviously so it's and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free in my mind, it's the truth shall set you free. I think it varies on different translations because it is a biblical, it's the biblical one, which also means it was super fun for me to try and research because Googling objective, non-hyper-religious uh, analysis of Bible text is tricky. Yeah as I have mentioned in the past. Uh, A fun fact about it is that this quote is inscribed on the CIA headquarters building. Is it? It is. Um, Not creepy at all. (laughs) I thought that that America was supposed to have a separation of church and state. America is supposed to have a separation (laughs) of church and state. It's just never done a good job of it. Um, So it's also like... It's inscribed on like loads of like university buildings and libraries. And like it's just one of those quotes that is and floats around. I feel like it's in Bruce Almighty. <laughs> I feel like yeah. like it, it's that's come to my obviously I know it anyway, but it's come to my head. It's also been parodied in lots of things. So like there's uh, sticks out in my head because it's also the title of a very good podcast, but there's a Terry Pratchett quote, which is the truth shall make you fret. Um, which is uh, the name of the a Terry Pratchett recap podcast, which you should all go listen to if you like Pratchett. Uh, but yeah, the truth shall make you fret, which I love. Also, it obviously makes me think of Paramore. Uh, there's a lyric in their song Careful that says, the truth never set me free, so I did it myself, which is very much based on this. Yeah. yeah. And that caused a whole rift of uh, things for that band, uh, including a lot of members leave in because of uh, Hayley's blasphemous lyrics. But, so blasphemous, that mm, Hayley Williams. She is, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's obviously what it makes me think of as well. But a lot of uh, 
a lot of pop culture moments, I guess, and just general. One of those like quotes that even if you've no, you don't know anything to do with Christianity or the Bible, you kind of you've heard it somewhere, you've seen it somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so it is actually from the Book of John. It's John eight, I think. Didn't do a great job of research this one, not going to lie. But the context of it is Jesus is talking to a group of Jewish people and he's saying to them, basically, his the version of the truth that apparently is going to set them free is that Jesus has existed long before Jesus was actually born. Jesus has been around since like before. Jesus is a concept, actually. Actually, actually Jesus is an eternal concept (laughs) and not uh, just a guy in his 30s and that's kind of it obviously there's a lot more understanding and meaning that can be taken from it and I think that Phil's obviously pulled it for a very different reason for this chapter and also it is one of those things that the truth shall make you free can be interpreted in so many different ways because a lot of people would view that as a statement that is absolutely nothing to do with religion like facts will set you free science will set you through how how do you determine the truth without that but there's you know there's a big argument of like faith and like the faith in the things is what some people think of as their truth and what is your truth blah 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 blah. so it is uh, a very powerful quote and one that has been used by many people in many different ways um but just know it is from the bible and so it is weird when public office buildings inscribe it on their fronts. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it is, it works really well for this chapter um, because it's done in a way where I guess the truth is literally setting them free. Yeah. <laughs> or will set them free, or hopefully will set them free. Um, so yeah, I do, I kind of like how Phil's done that. Um, and it is also nice to see a very famous quote being used, I guess. I feel like it's one of the first times that we've had that where it's immediately like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. I know where this yeah. is from. Oh, I know this one. And not something about leaves in a bunch of places oh, yeah. that we've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, okay, let's get into this chapter. Yes. So we're still with Lyra and Will. We've been them- with them for a little while now. And Lyra is asking Will immediately what the harpies will do when they let the ghosts out. And there's like a description of the harpies here, which I quite like straight away. Um, It's a very harpy-heavy chapter, which I actually quite enjoy. Yeah. More harpy-heavy than the chapter that's called The Harpies, in fact. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like the harpies much better in this chapter as, like, I guess, characters as a whole because it's not constantly... We're not constantly reminded how disgusting they are i think that's what was putting me off them but i actually quite like learning more about them as characters and as creatures in this world in yeah. this chapter than i did this in is the chapter that kind of gives us some more understanding of like why they're so mean yeah yeah <laughs> literally sure. so it says because the creatures were getting louder and flying closer and there were more and more of them all the time as if the gloom were gathering itself into little quarts of malice and giving them wings i really like that I put a note down for this paragraph and the paragraph is that Clots of Malice is a great band name. Yeah, It gives me very Cradle of Filth uh, kind of vibes. So I will be adding Clots of Malice to the list of band names that we'll be playing at the His Dark Materials Festival. Oh, fucking hell. How did I not think of that? Clots of Malice. How did I not think of that? My initial thing was not a fan of the word clot. I do not like the word clot. It's like... 
It's just one of those words, isn't it? Um, but clots of malice. Clots of malice. Stellar uh, band name. It's absolutely stellar. So I got confused about the fact that there are rocks and trees in this place. I, in my mind, I think I'd envisioned it like just whiteness. Like a warehouse almost. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. like, we haven't done this in fucking ages. Like in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. where... Drink. I shall. Where... Oh, I shall. Oh, I shall. In, is it like the one of the later films? Um, and obviously in the book. But where it's supposed to be like King's Cross and you see like the little fetal Voldemort under the... Um, oh, thing. yeah. And I think in the film, they do that like completely white apart from the bench that the little weird fetus Voldy is under. Yeah, I think I just pictured it as literally just like, you know, you see pictures of the desert or like salt deserts where it's just flat, 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 flat and really grey. And that's it. And then I just pictured not being able to see very far because it's simultaneously misty and full of semi-transparent people um, and just being flat and nothingy. But then it's mentioned a few times that there are rocks and little hills with trees on and apparently caves. Yeah. Because that's where the harpies are going to take them. So I guess there is much more to the landscape than we think. But in my head, the way it is described as being so nothingy, I just view it as being very, very flat. So it is and then I'm and then I'm imagining it being like in um The Lion King, where it's all really, really flat with the wildebeest have stampeded, except for the little the little tree that Simba hangs off of. Oh boy. Just the just trauma. to make us all have a little yeah. cry. <laughs> oh boy, the trauma. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, flat, slightly cracked ground with the occasional rock, I guess, but Apparently there's more than that, so... Lyra wants to be hurtful for Roger, but she can't stop thinking about Pan. Oh, Pan. I think it's just rude at this point to keep mentioning that he was a sad little dog. (laughs) True. True. Also... Stop breaking my heart. I think we've noticed that Phil kind of pities Roger, I guess. I was going to say has it in for Roger, but I don't think he doesn't like Roger. I think he just pities him. And it's funny to me. Like, even in this description here... Where it says, when they did come face to face, it happened quite suddenly. And I do quite like that. Where it's just like, oh, shit, now they're in front of each other. In Among the Press of All the Ghosts, there he was. His familiar features won, but his expression full of delight as a ghost could be. He rushed to embrace her. Like, poor little Roger. Always a little negative description of Roger, isn't it? Yeah, he doesn't get to just be happy. Especially not when he's a little ghosty. No. And they can't touch. um, And it's, it's kind of sad. Yeah, they like race to hug each other and instead he just passes straight through her and that's... Yeah, and she feels his little hand clutch at her heart. Rude, Roger. Don't go grabbing people's hearts. What is it with these ghosts and grabbing people by the ribs and the hearts and stuff? Absolutely not. Get out of my insides, actually. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Roger feels guilt, which is interesting here, I think. Roger feels guilt. He says that him and his demon shouldn't, should have run away from Stelmaria when she let them, well, when they fought her off. They shouldn't have gone back to Lyra. They shouldn't have fought, tried to fight. They should have just run. And Lyra's like, no, it's my fault. And it's interesting to note that Lyra goes back to her Oxford speak here. We haven't heard her use it for a while, but as soon as she's with Roger, she goes back to speaking like she did in Northern Lights. Yeah, we haven't had an end in a long time. Yeah, true. <laughs> I also love like, but it weren't your fault, stupid. They're like, just like, she's always like shouting. <laughs> she's like shouting at him and bless him. Roger is dead and yeah. she is still happy to be like, shut up and follow me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's kind of like everything has changed, but like nothing has changed. Um, 
yeah, I it is, I guess, a relief for Lyra to at least hear that, like, it's obviously sad that Roger blames himself for his own death. Um, but I'm sure that Lyra is so relieved that he doesn't blame her because that's what she's been operating under the assumption of this whole time. I also love that Roger says, got dead. It's my fault I got dead. Yeah. He's like, I would have got dead some other way. <laughs> got dead. Also, his lack of faith in himself, just like, it's like he's, um. Oh, what is it? What is the animal that just is, is it like guinea pigs or gerbils? They're just like really hard to keep alive because they're, no. they just, they, they will, they will got dead some way, somehow. <laughs> I, it can't be guinea pigs. I had a guinea pig for like six years. Oh, okay. It held, it held on like guinea pigs. gerbils. Maybe. Just desperate to get dead however they can. Oh, boy. <laughs> it really is sad to see him like this, I think. I think that Phil's having a field day being able to write Roger is a little sad ghost, to be honest. But everybody, like, leaves them alone. They kind of, I guess they can just sense the connection between them and they, like, need to be by themselves for a little bit. Um, and Will's hand is bleeding, but it hasn't, it hasn't bled in ages. Yeah, I think it's a sign of the toll that it's taking on him to not have his demon. Yeah. Um, and to be in the world of the dead. Like, we basically get a description and it's like, Will looks like a bag of shit and Lyra <laughs> feels like a bag of shit. <laughs> yeah. Between them, <laughs> they are the embodiment of a bag of shit. Absolutely, yeah. They, this whole chapter, we're reminded of um, how shit they feel and look and that it's not a nice place to be and that their demons aren't there and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I think it is quite sweet that like Lyra's telling Roger about like how heartbroken she is that she had to leave Pan. Um and like Roger actually is one of the few people that aside from well, is one of the few people with a demon that she knows well enough to talk to about it that knows how it feels to literally have your demon torn away because that's literally how he died. Um and so that's like a really kind of sweet little moment of like Lyra can confide in him and it's like oh, heartbreaking also I don't think there's any need for Tally to fly at the ghosts really fiercely to keep them away no I guess it's because they've not taken the hint though right because every time the ghosts pass through Lyra and Will they feel like they're dying a little bit inside and if the ghosts just aren't taking the hint I can see why they'd be like just back off <laughs> but yeah I, I get it but I think I just feel really sorry for them because most of them are children I guess aren't they the ones that are crowding Lyra and I'm just like oh they're just being really needy and they want someone to like pay attention to them and tell them stories uh, and they're like get back <laughs> Yeah. Get back, I say. So I just quote the Titanic, it's fine. <laughs> always, always <laughs> and forever. Um Roger, we finally get an explanation of like partly uh we're gonna get throughout the rest of the chapter some more explanations of it, but what it is the harpies do that the ghosts are so scared of and why the harpies are so shitty. And poor Roger explains it. Um he not only is it heartbreaking when he's explaining what's happening? But he he starts off by telling Lyra that he's been talking to her this whole time while she's been gone. And it's like, oh, Roger, you really did only ever have one friend in you. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. I pretended, I've been pretending to talk to you all this time since I died, he said. I've been wishing... The way, sorry, the way that you read that was really like proper Roger vibes. Like I yeah. sensed him. <laughs> it's because you're so pathetic. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I've been wishing, I've been wishing I could, I've been wishing so hard, just wishing I could get out, <laughs> me and all these other deadens, because this is a terrible place, Lyra, it's hopeless, there's no change when you're dead, and then bird things, you know what they do, they wait till you're resting, you can't never sleep properly, you just sort of doze, and they come up quiet beside you, and they whisper all the bad things you ever did when you was alive, and you can't forget him, they know all the worst things about you, they know how to make you feel horrible, and just thinking of all the stupid things and bad things you ever did all the greedy and unkind thoughts you ever had and they know them all and they shame you up and they make you feel sick with yourself but you can't never get away from them number one deadens great name for like a zombie and like walking dead or something number two the harpies just sound like having depression and anxiety and insomnia and trying to sleep i was literally <laughs> my note is sounds like me every night when i'm trying to get to sleep literally <laughs> yeah when you can't sleep you know what the best thing to do is just to think about all the stupid things you've ever said Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) thanks harpies yeah love it so can we just assume that what is visiting us at night are the harpies it would explain the smell (laughs) (laughs) or is that just the dairy you ate earlier today (laughs) probably that (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah i feel that but poor roger what a horrible horrible way to live i guess Mm -hmm. there's so much dialogue in this chapter a lot of exposition a lot of remember when this thing happened (laughs) remember in book one (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) and this is exactly what this next bit is uh lyra explains the prophecy to roger but it is interesting because we do kind of get it from her side in the sense that she heard them talking about her she heard dr lancilius and Father Coram talking about her and the prophecy and she'd kind of internalised it, forgotten about it and then now it's coming up for her that she's going to do, I mean, what is it? Something great and important and it was going to be in another world. Now she's thinking, this is that great and important thing that I need to do. And I'm now wondering, as a person that genuinely can't remember, is it? (laughs) is this the thing is there another thing i can't remember this is definitely part of the thing i think okay Mm -hmm. i think larry's vibes are right and i also think the fact that the alethiometer is when she does ask it questions later it is just like very snappy answering her makes me feel like this is part of the fated her fated trajectory yeah also i like in the dialogue where she's like mark Oster, like remember mark Oster? i'm like of course we fucking remember mark Oster. just we would never forget she deserved to go beyond like five chapters (laughs) she really did we would never forget her absolutely i yeah it's very remember this remember that and it's also lyra's like she lowers her voice so the ghost can't hear her and then she has a three-page monologue (laughs) yes and i love that like she could just say we're gonna try and save you but she's like no remember remember book one uh and then all this other stuff that i did and then all this other stuff that i did and then by the way we're gonna save you but like but remember my whole journey <laughs> which i like and then there's the quote from like lord asriel she remembers saying something about like death is going to die um and so that's something that she's been finally putting together with um her understanding of the prophecy that she overheard and like solidifying her like certainty that this is what she needs to do which is yeah and then roger's like again with the deadens roger's like 
no, 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 Lara, that's what I was going to tell you. I was going to tell you that you were going to set us free. <laughs> yeah. Before that, I love how Roger is trying to get a word in and be like, oh my God, I remember that time, Lyra. It was so funny. She's like, no, but shush and listen, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> and he really doesn't stand a chance because all he can do is whisper. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I get it because I fucking hate, like, if I'm having a conversation with someone that's, I mean, I don't mind it when we interrupt each other on the pod because it's video chat and that's sometimes difficult. But like, if I'm like out in the real world and somebody interrupts me, oh, oh, the rage that I feel immediately. I'm like, <laughs> don't interrupt me. I'm talking. Did I sound like I'd finished? Uh, 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 uh. I'm not done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know how you're friends with me because I am terrible for interrupting because I have this thing of like midway through a conversation, if I think of a thing, if I don't say it or find a way to slip it in, I will completely forget what it was or it'll come back to me like 20 minutes later and then I end up in a situation where we'll be having a completely different conversation and I'll just be like, I had a cat once and it is relevant, but like <laughs> to fit something 20 minutes ago, my brain's just gone, no, you wanted to say it, say it now. Yeah, I've never noticed it with you, to be honest. Oh. It's, let's face it, Rich, it's usually men. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I probably just think I do it more than I actually do. So, where did we get to? Death is going to die. Roger's telling Lyra, no, 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 I told everybody that you'd come and rescue me, but nobody believed me because Roger's faith in Lyra is completely unshakable, but nobody believed Roger because everyone thinks that someone's going to come and rescue them, which is sad, especially because there's so, so many kids down there. Like, it's like, like well, oh, my mum's going to come for me, or my dad, oh. or my friend, or whatever. Yeah. And poor little Roger, all, yeah, all he's got is Lyra. Just like, yeah. Lyra's kidding. Except for the, he, he does know that she does have a track record of showing up to save him. It's not the best track record, but she has done it multiple times. So he has you know, told the kids at Bolvanger, Lyra's going to come and save us and then she's actually shown up. He has some faith in her to do it again. So Lyra points out Will to Roger. He's so jelly. He's so jelly. He's so cute. <laughs> it's cute. Do you think that he's jealous? Because he can definitely sense that something between them, especially because we get a bit, is it now, where she, like, her entire posture changes and, like, how she's talking. It's kind of obvious that she... She fancies him. She got a crush on him. I think he's BFF jelly. Do you think? Yeah. I hope so. I, hope I think that's he's it. jelly in the same way that I get annoyed whenever you say that you do a Paramore podcast with your best friend Zach, and I'm like, hey, fucking excuse me, I do exist. Do you know what? I've stopped. I've stopped saying that. I noticed. I just say friend now. <laughs> I just say friend. Just, you know, it's fine. I know it's a tear, not a title. <laughs> I don't Roger needs that explaining too. <laughs> yeah, I kind of hope that it is a BFF thing because I don't want to think that there's anything other between Roger and, and Lyra. I you know me, I get on my like high horse about it annoys me when people think that people of different genders can't just be friends. Um I don't want the Roger and Lyra thing to be the fact that Roger's had a crush on her all along. I don't like that. I'd I want it to be like BFF jelly type thing. Also for like for me it's also a case of like Lyra, Roger died at the start of the first book. And I'm gonna assuming by the fact that he's not aged a, a day by the looks of it, aside from being transparent because he's a ghost now. Um like I would put him at like frozen at that point in his life and Lyra has gone through this whole 
essentially what the whole books are about this puberty journey this journey into like growing up and having a first crush and having those feelings i think roger is still would only ever be able to think of lyra platonically like i don't think he's feeling those feelings yet because he's just a little kid he's just a little ghost boy he's just a creepy ghost baby (laughs) a little creepy ghost baby um and so yeah it has to just be like friendship jealousy and I was just feeling left out. Like he's he's missed a book and a half because he's he'd been dead. Yeah, he didn't know. He hadn't got a fucking clue what's and been so going he's on. Probably like all these adventures because of how proud he gets in a few minutes when Lyra's telling the stories of Oxford and of the clay bed fights and her adventures with Roger, and how he's like, I was there. That definitely happened. And he's so happy to have been her sidekick. He's a big sidekick energy in this whole chapter. Yes. Poor little Roger. He never gets a chance to be anything but. But I think it is that just like, oh, I died and you almost immediately got a new sidekick and you got a new best friend so quickly after I'd gone that he probably feels really like put out by that. Which is like, oh, poor Roger. Uh, Yeah, for sure. 100%. I get that. I get that. So Will tells Tally and Sally what they're planning to do and Tally and Sally are like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. Hell yes we're in and then like we learn that will has like he's changed his tune and now he has like mad respect for them i guess like they have done a lot of fighting and defending them and they've all been through the like shared trauma of the boat ride which is probably a lot as well yeah one thing that i did want to bring up quickly as well is i think nikita said this in the discord when people were chatting about oh did we know that the land of the dead was like this did we know already and in i think it was the balthamoth and baruch chapter one of them says that it's like a prison camp mm-hmm. so we did have an inkling we were supposed to have had an inkling <laughs> but we don't remember anything ever i replied to that message being like this is like i'm shook at how terrible my fucking memory is honestly that i didn't remember that at all i found the Thank you, Nikita, for sharing a photograph of this page in the Discord so I don't have to go and find it. Balthamos looked back in surprise. Brooke said, well, there is a world of the dead. Where it is and where that uh, and what happens there, no one knows. My ghost, thanks to Balthamos, never went there. Um, I am what was once the ghost of Brooke. The world of the dead is just dark to us. And then Balthamos says, it is a prison camp. The authority established it in the early ages. What do you want to know? <laughs> Why do you want to know? You will see it in time. Sassy Balthamos. Sassy. We miss you. You know, Will mentions that his dad's died and they ask what happens there and they just kind of shrug and they say, oh, it's impossible to say. Everything about it is secret. Even the churches don't know. They tell their believers that they'll live in heaven, but that is a lie if people really knew. So that was where we were like, Balthamos and Brooke, that's like chapter two. And we were like, yes, third book, chapter two, heaven is a lie. Um, (laughs) Which I can't believe we forgot that. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we are on chapter 23 now in our defence. True. Um, It's been over a year since we read that chapter. (laughs) So we learn, we're not telling anyone about this plan. We're keeping it a secret. The spies say to Will, what are you going to do afterwards? And he's like, I'm not thinking about that yet. We just got to do this first. And I think that's fair because this is a fucking huge thing that they have to do. Will goes to find a world to cut through to and he tells the spies to distract the harpies. And we learn that first of all he has a thing with his mum he thinks about what the harpies said to uh, him about his mum and he's obviously he doesn't say it but obviously the implication is that he's terrified the knife's gonna break again Mm -hmm. but then he realizes that he's just gonna have to get on with it because there's no escaping 
the I guess the images and the words of the harpies are put into his brain so he just kind of settles himself down cuts through and we see we learn that everywhere that he tries to cut through to is underground so he's cutting below ground so he's just cutting straight into rock and he can't find anywhere to cut through that isn't rock yeah he should have kind of known that that was a possibility because there was that one time that he cut through in the tower and he was like above oxford so he knows that like the the ground level makes a difference but i think they'd forgotten how far they'd walked down as a part of their journey literally in the underworld which i really like like you've got to find the highest ground you can in the underworld (laughs) yeah Lyra notices that Will, there's something up with Will and goes to speak to him. She and just they... full on abandons Roger though. Poor Roger. <laughs> like mid-sentence, just like, Will, what is it? Like, I sense fuck you, that Roger. William needs me. <laughs> BRB. <laughs> uh, and they do discuss it and they're like, well, look, it might take a long time and we might die before we actually get there, but we could use the knife as a spade and dig our way up (laughs) which seems ridiculous and that's where we kind of get reminded that will looks like a bag of shit and lyra feels like a bag of shit they've not got that much they've not got a dig through a mystery tunnel of unknown length left in them um because they are demonless and tired also just before will kind of tries to reassure that they can like cut through because that's very much what will's doing this chapter is a lot of reassurance a lot of Kind of a lot of taking charge, a lot of the stuff that I got kind of mad about Will doing in The Soul Knife when it felt like Lyra was like disappearing into herself and Will was kind of taking charge and I didn't like it. But I actually don't mind it here because I feel like, not that Lyra didn't need it in The Soul Knife, but I feel like Lyra is also, she still feels like herself here. She's still standing up to the harpies. She's still doing what Lyra does best. She's shaking because she doesn't have Pan. And I understand why she would want to rely on somebody else for a little bit here. But also it's hilarious to me when she's like, Roger will do whatever I tell him. Oh my God. Poor Roger. (laughs) Roger's getting shat on this chapter. He really is. Whatever. Same old, same old from Lyra. I guess like... It just feels familiar, right? Because she's always treated him like a sidekick. But just being like, Roger will do whatever I tell him. Lyra. Honestly. <laughs> you can't just take, you can't just keep taking him for granted. He literally died. There's like... some serious dominant energy going on here from <laughs> yeah. Lyra. He'll just do whatever I tell him. Okay, fine. <laughs> so the girls are like crowding them and they're like obsessed with them. And there's a little girl. And oh, so... Please, said one girl, you won't forget us when you go back, will you? No, said Lyra, never. You'll tell them about us, I promise, what's your name? But the poor girl was embarrassed and ashamed, she'd forgotten. She turned away, hiding her face, and a boy said, It's better to forget, I reckon, I've forgotten mine. Some ain't been here long, they still know who they are. There's some kids been here thousands of years, they're no older than us, and they've forgotten a whole lot, except the sunshine, no one forgets that, and the wind. But the the little girl being embarrassed because she can't remember her name. Oh, yeah, very sweet, too sweet, too sad. Stop it. They beg and beg and beg until she agrees to tell them a story. She's kind of like unsure of what to do, especially because last time she thinks last time she tried to tell a story that the harpies attacked her. So she's a bit like, uh, I don't really want to do this again. But also, I can't deny these ghosts just telling them about what sunshine and wind feels like and so she 
heads to a tree to like so because she can't stand and tell a story she simply cannot uh stand and tell a story while will tally and sally kind of spread out in a little circle around her to defend her from the harpies and also to kind of keep the ghosts at bay so they don't overcrowd her while she's trying to tell her story which again really cool image very much building a scene there of like the girl by the tree and then the crowd around them and the harpies overhead and very cool yeah and again it's will that's telling her to tell the truth she's very much reliant on will this chapter the spies tell will that the harpies are coming back and they might need to fight and will's like all right and he like gets the knife out and he's not gonna worry lyra so he's just ready he's just ready always ready for a scrap yes Lyra then tells the stories of her and Roger playing in Oxford, like the clear beds. Roger's really excited and he's like agreeing with her. I like the description of the clear beds and how they like harden and soften and also squish your fingers into the cracks. Well, of course I was going to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very satisfying description. I like that as well, like Will keeps the ghosts back but lets Roger forward. Oh, he really is like a lost puppy. He really is. (laughs) And the ghosts are like feeding on Lyra's words, they're remembering. Yeah, I guess like we don't need to go into much detail about this because it's all stuff that we know. We know about the clear bed fights. We know about Roger and Lyra playing. It's a very Lyra wholesome story that is well told by Lyra and we... It's made really clear to us in this little section here that not only is Lyra a really good storyteller when she is lying her pants off, but she's also a really good storyteller when she is just reminiscing about things that actually happened. And that's like a really nice thing to know because we don't hear a lot of Lyra telling the truth, to be honest, in these in this monologue kind of way, whereas actually getting to hear Lyra have a little memory lane trip for Roger and Roger being like, it's all true, I was there. It's just so cute. It is very cute. Lyra has a shock because she finishes her story and she realises that the harpies have like gathered around and they're listening. This is what I love from Lyra and this is why I think that I'm not that mad about Will kind of taking over the chapter because as soon as she sees the harpies, she doesn't just like cower. She's like, oi, the fuck are you doing here? Because last time I told a story, you fucking attacked me. What's your problem? Yeah. What's your beef? Like, what, what? And No Name explains. Lyra says, come tear at me with your claws and make a ghost out of me. And No Name says, that is the least we shall do. Listen to me. Thousands of years ago, when the first ghost came down here, the authority gave us the power to see the worst in everyone, and we have fed on the worst ever since, till our blood is rank with it and our very hearts are sickened. But still, it was all we had to feed on. It was all we had. And now we learn that you're planning to open a way to the upper world and lead all the ghosts out into the air. And then the ghosts are all like, what? Way to spoil it for everybody. Right, right. (laughs) Right. <laughs> and then No Name says, What will we do now? I shall tell you what we will do. From now on, we shall hold nothing back. We shall hurt and defile and tear and rend every ghost that comes through, and we shall send them mad with fear and remorse and self hatred. This is a wasteland now. We shall make it a hell. Mm. Oh boy. Yeah. And that's where, like, Tally and Sally get their negotiation heads on. They jump in and they're like, Hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait a, wait a minute. What? 
what are we this is feeling a bit extreme <laughs> um, and they're like look we noticed you didn't scratch the shit out of lyra when she was telling that story but you did with the other story what's the difference and the harpies explain that the reason it didn't enrage them is because it was true and because i quite like this uh little passage so i shall read it um because it was true because she spoke the truth because it was nourishing because it was feeding us because we couldn't help it because it was true because we had no idea that there was anything but wickedness because it brought us news of the world and the sun and the wind and the rain because it was true it's just nice just because it was true peppered every other sentence just very satisfying and you know the power the harpies have been given is to see the worst truths about a person but turns out any truths will do yes <laughs> um, so yeah just like the technical dream coat that's how that's how that song goes <laughs> yes <laughs> any truths will do there you go uh and tally's like okay cool sounds like sounds like we can negotiate on this and they strike a bargain that the harpies if they agree if the ghosts agree to tell them stories and true stories only will the harpies help to guide the ghosts to whatever opening will and lyra manage to cut if they achieve their goal lyra is like really impressed at his negotiating skills because he's so tiny and the harpies could literally just pick him up and fly off with him and tear him to shreds um and it's another little minute of like lyra and will both appreciating the galavespians after having been so rude about them um but the harpies are still a bit like unsure about the bargain because we learn that their whole thing is a task it's they're doing it on the authority's command the authority has said be mean as shit to these ghosts we don't still don't know exactly why except for like they know they've been given the power to see these things and that they have to speak them and make people feel like shit about themselves and not be able to sleep because thanks um but it gives them a purpose. And so um, that is where Tally says, okay, well, the stories are payment and your purpose is taking people to the opening. Like, it's not for nothing. You're not just stopping being mean to people for no reason. You have a purpose and people will respect you because you are, you. they will need you as a guide. And I like that. I like that. I like how, like, Tally and Sally kind of come to the rescue in this moment and have these ideas and jump in and help each other out, I guess, with it. And I like, I guess the like treaty that they come to and the agreement of, you know, these ghosts will have to tell you their life story. If they don't, then you won't guide them. Yeah, the harpies are just like, if they lie and if they don't, if they don't tell the truth and if they have shit stories because they never lived, yeah. then we won't take them. But we will make an exception for babies. <laughs> yeah. The babies are fine. We'll take the babies. That's fair. That's fair. I do enjoy that. It's it's kind of like, it's a bit of a harsh statement, but the statement is like, life is for living. And if you've wasted it, why should we help you? Which is like simultaneously quite a poignant statement, but also a a bit harsh. What if you just shit at telling stories or you've got a really bad memory? Oh God, we'd be fucked. No. (laughs) Be like, what what were were leaves in the wind like? And you'd be like, I don't know. I can't remember. Cold? Rustily? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yes no but you're you're so right it's one of those like classic literature moments of life is for living this is the hidden message Uh, make sure you've got stuff i do like it though as like um, a reader and a writer of being like 
make sure you've got stories to tell when you leave this earth. I kind of don't like the threat, though, of, like, if you don't have stories to tell, then you are absolutely fucked in the afterlife. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy the message of it, just not the threat part. Yeah. <laughs> Good messaging, odd delivery. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So they come to this agreement, this treaty, uh, as they call it. One of the ghosts is like, well, hang on a sec what actually happens to us when we leave this place which is a fair question i think and lyra's like i don't really know what to do and will's like you should ask the alethiometer because the alethiometer is like i only tell the truth i only tell the truth is it moulin rouge with the thing that's like <laughs> i only tell the truth uh, yes i think so yeah she asks the alethiometer and the alethiometer says this is what will happen she said and it's true perfectly true when you go out of here, all the particles that make you up will loosen and float apart, just like your demons did. If you've seen people dying, you know what it looks like. But your demons aren't just nothing now. They're part of everything. All the atoms that were them, they've gone into the air and the wind and the trees and the earth and all the living things. They'll never vanish. They're just part of everything. And that's exactly what will happen to you. I swear to you, I promise on my honour, you'll drift apart, it's true, but you'll be out in the open, part of everything alive again. And... That's really pretty and beautiful. Is that a common concept of what happens after we die? Because, spoilers, for The Good Place, that's what happens at the end of The Good Place. Because that's the only time I've heard that, apart from this book and The Good Place. Is it kind of a common thing that happens, that people think happens to you when you die? I don't know. I will have to get back to you on that. <laughs> I guess because, like, people are, oh, like, we're made of stars, made of stardust, that's what happens to you when you die kind of thing. Again, you go back to that. I feel like it's a way of, um, it's like somewhat spiritual atheism because it's like on a practical level, your body, if you are buried, you like, it's very uh, the circle of life. Your body decomposes, the lions die and become the grass that nourishes the, ze the zebra that the lions eat and all that. And it's very much that, just like completing the cycle, but like because you're part of a greater cycle, it it's you're still part of everything. So it's, it's very much like at one with that concept, but having it so explicitly laid out of like your atoms will just drift, but you'll, you won't be gone, but you won't be you either. Like it's a concept that I feel, feel like it's like the closest you can get to being like spiritual while still being pretty atheist. Yeah, that makes sense. So no one speaks. Then this woman comes forward who died like centuries before. I love this, what she says. This is probably one of the most obvious uh, Phil Hitt's organised religion things yeah. that we've had so far and I fucking love it she says when we were alive they told us that when we died we'd go to heaven and they said that heaven was a place of joy and glory and we would spend eternity in the company of saints and angels praising the almighty in a state of bliss that's what they said and that's what led some of us to give our lives and others to spend years in solitary prayer while all the joy of life was going to waste around us and we never knew because the land of the dead isn't a place of reward or a place of punishment. It's a place of nothing. The good come here as well as the wicked, and all of us language in this gloom forever, with no hope of freedom or joy or sleep or rest or peace. But now this child has come offering us a way out, and I'm going to follow her. Even if it means oblivion, friends, I'll welcome it, because it won't be nothing. We'll be alive again in a thousand blades of grass and a million leaves. We'll be falling in the raindrops and blowing in the fresh breeze. We'll be glittering in the dew under the stars and the moon out there in the physical world, which is our true home and always was. 
So I urge you, come with a child out to the sky. Yes. Yes. I just love the bit about some people, you know, waste their life in prayer, like solitary prayer, while all the joys of life is like happening outside. That is some peak blasphemy yeah it's she had died as a martyr centuries before as well so she had literally died for that cause that religion like he doesn't say what world she's from but it says a lot like you can't just spend your whole life avoiding sinning if sinning is just like all the good stuff in life just because you think you're going to get to an imaginary playground in the sky that may or may not exist like do the fun shit do it and then this bloody priest this fucking guy gaslighting pompous fucker i hate him so much and it's a perfect example of like exactly what phil's trying to say of like dogmatic following of these rules leads to people being delusional gaslighty and abusive that's basically what is happening here but it's laid out so well that it's like kind of funny how delusional this guy is but then also sinister because it is very like and i'm somebody that had authority and so you should follow me her ghost was thrust aside by the ghost of a man who looked like a monk thin and pale even in his death with dark zealous eyes he crossed himself and murmured a prayer and then he said this is a bitter message a sad cruel joke can't you see the truth this is not a child this is an agent of the evil one himself the world we lived in was a veil of corruption and tears nothing nothing there could satisfy us but the almighty has granted us this blessed place for all eternity this paradise which to the fallen souls seemed bleak and barren but which to the eyes of faith see as it is overflowing with milk and honey and resounding with the sweet hymns of the angels angels this is heaven truly what this evil girl promises is nothing but lies she wants to lead you to hell go with her at your peril my companions and i of the true faith will remain here in our blessed paradise and spend eternity singing the praises of the almighty who has given us the judgment to tell the false from the true oh my god yeah go off and sit with your sad mates in your sad corner <laughs> right not overflowing with milk as well come on absolutely not absolutely not oh my god honestly you do you hun but i'm gonna go and get out of this fucking place yeah so this is the thing you're going could he genuinely be seeing it as some kind of paradise or is he just horrendously like stuck in his ways dogmatic i think that he is delusional to the point where he's probably thinking to himself i can't believe i gave my life for this i'm gonna have to now don't pretend yeah yeah pretend that it's the best thing ever and that this is what i've always wanted because i cannot deal with the fact that i've thrown my life away to be stuck in this place forever do you think it's like a oh but this is clearly part of the plan and it doesn't matter that it's shit but my job is to make people follow the plan because that puts me in the good books of the big guy and therefore i'm going to tell people that it's nicer than it is to make them stay because i think it will give me points in my column maybe yeah could be I, it's probably a bit of birth i would imagine probably everything she, probably a little horrible kiss ass. i don't like him yeah whose ass are you kissing yeah you're all ghosts <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly it's funny to me this next bit where lyra starts questioning herself and, and their plan it's really obvious how lost she is without pam because normal lyra would be like lol she'd be like okay mate 
see you later. I know that this is the right thing to do and fuck you. But she's now like, oh, shit, are we doing the wrong thing? And and Will's like, you know that we're not. You know that he's talking shit. Is it as well part like of her like indoctrination into like the Magisterium's bullshit from her own world? Like it's so what she's used to hearing and stuff. But again, she's, she was never that like obedient or gullible in her own world either. So maybe it is just that she's tired. Yeah. And Will grabs her by the face and <laughs> shake her out of it. That is the, probably the most intimate thing that's happened between them physically so far. Hands on her face. It's a very intimate move. Um, and he's kind of uses it as a, you know, what we have to do is as real as my hands on your face right now kind of thing. And it's a move. It's a smooth move from Will. A smooth move with some rough hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, some also, bloody is he hands. not bleeding again? Is she <laughs> yeah. going to end up just like a splodge on her face? Yeah. They're both grubby as hell at this point. Oh, like, God, yeah. There's no way they're not caked in just dust and mud. Mm-hmm. So Will says, let's make a start. And she agrees. And they set off. And the like, millions of ghosts are following them. And everyone's joining the march. Everyone's hearing about it, joining to to go with them. Yes, because the harpies are going to take them to somewhere that they know is a little bit closer to the surface and is a little bit closer to wherever they can cut through. But it's a trek. It's an absolute trek. Because apparently there's caves. Yeah, right? (laughs) (sighs) Apparently there's caves. Uh, I really like this bit here. Tally and Sally flew back to look and were overjoyed to see some of their own people there and every other kind of conscious being who had ever been punished by the authority with exile and death. Among them were beings who didn't look human at all. Beings like the Malefa, who Mary Malone would have recognised, and Stranger Gus as well. Yeah, we were asking this when we got here. We were like, why do they all look human? They're not all human. It's just that's who Lyra happens to have seen so far. Also, can I just add, before we close this chapter out, we're talking about people that are dead. Roger, Will's talking about his dad. Why has nobody mentioned Lee? Because they're all ungrateful and they don't appreciate (laughs) Balloon Dad as much as we do. They didn't write him a song when he died. We did. Exactly. (laughs) We'd, We'd be looking for him first fucking thing. I'd be like, where is he? Where you at? Where you at, boy? (laughs) Where's that hat? Get on over here. (laughs) So, like, Will and Lyra don't have the strength to look back. They're so, like, sick and weak. And Lyra says, have we almost done it, Will? Is it nearly over? He couldn't tell, but they were so weak and sick that he said, yes, it's nearly over. We've nearly done it. We'll be out soon. Uh, Did that for you feel a little bit like in Buffy, when Buffy turns to Giles and says, like, is it always going to be like this when she's just been like screwed over by someone that she thought was her friend and he and he's like, do you want the truth or do you want to lie? And she's like, lie to me. And he's like, okay, the good guys are always going to be very clearly good, et cetera, et cetera. It feels like that moment. It does, just, yeah, sure. Please just tell me what I need to hear. Like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Like, ugh. That always makes me think of, I mean, a lot of, of, of Buffy episodes do this for me now, but that makes me think of Jenny's song mm-hmm. uh, for that Buffering episode because that was a really beautiful song, Lie to Me. It was song. a great song. I miss Buffering. Me too. Ah. <sighs> okay. That Well, that's the end of that chapter. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you want to know what the next chapter's called? I do. Mrs. Coulter in Geneva. Oh my God, do you think it's going to be about Mrs. Coulter in Geneva? I think it might be. (laughs) No, it's actually just Lyra and Will carrying on. Okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) 
No, I'm ready for some big C energy for sure. I've missed mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Also, because like we have had a few chapters strung together with Lyra and Will. And whilst I do want to know what's going to happen next, it does feel like we've finished on a point that's like, they're going to walk for a bit. You don't need to spend too much time with them. It's fine. We've not been left on a cliffhanger. We've been left with a long walk ahead. So it's quite nice, actually, to be like, let's check in with Mrs. Coulter. Last time we saw her, she was committing grand theft intention crafter. She was. That was fucking ages ago as well. So wasn't it? long ago. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Do you have an award? My award this week is for the little ghost girl that forgot her name. Oh, yeah, she deserves it. She definitely yeah. does. And just all the little ghost kids that have forgotten their names and that have been living with the horrible insomnia demons that are the harpies. What about you? Who's your award for? Mine's for a joint award for Tally and Sally. Nice. Mm, because mm-hmm. I was really impressed by their very quick like negotiation ideas uh the like treaty that they formed together with the harpies i thought that was great and i enjoyed it a lot it kind of feels like they've took a turn this chapter a good one in a terms of before this i think they were like oh my god these fucking kids but like we're, we're doing this for Azrael and like we need to do it because it's our job kind of thing but with how impressed they were with will i feel like they've turned a corner and they're now like fully invested in what's going on yeah a joint drama it definitely bonds people i think that's a massive part of it i do think at this stage i don't know how whether anything comes of it but i would say tally and sally a team lyra and will more than their team asriel at this point yeah they've not been able to get in contact with asriel they don't know what's going on with him but they're stuck with lyra and will and they're sticking to like team what, what, what would Lyra and Will's team be called? Team Nithiometer. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. they got the knife, they got yeah. the alithiometer. It's like that. those two are like their own separate team going through all of this. And I think Tally and Sally are well and truly part of it now. Do Lyra and Will have a ship name? Because I'm, I'm really loving Wyra. <laughs> Wyra. More than Lil. Lil, Lil. yeah. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, they're Team Wyra, definitely. That was a good chapter. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. It felt very, like, epic and, like, not tropey. That's not the right. Like, iconic and, like, very much, like, this is... Maybe that's why he chose a Bible pass- a Bible verse for the quote at the beginning as well, but it almost felt like a Bible story. Like, you could tell it separately from the entirety of the rest of the book. Just the way it's, like, about truth and about stories. And there's so many, like, deeper messages than just him weaving this story that we're invested in the characters of. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, indeed. Well, well, well. Do you want to do your review spiel? You know the review spiel. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how if you leave us a positive review, because please only leave positive reviews, we'll love you. Um, if you've listened this far, you have to like us. So if you leave us a positive review, screenshot that review and send that screenshot in an email to her.materialspod at gmail.com. That email becomes your entry into a prize draw. When we get 50 entries, we'll pull 10 names from our hat. Nine of those people will get some super cool HDM pod bookmarks and one of those people will get the full HDM pod bookmark and sticker pack set up to date of wherever we're at in the podcast at the time. Woohoo! Yeah. Send us those reviews. 
Give us five stars. Say nice things. Recommend us to a friend. Bye Shout so us out on social media. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Also, I just thought it's really funny because this entire chapter we've been like, poor Roger, poor little Roger. Phil hates him and then neither of us gave him the award. No. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> That's just what Phil wants, actually. Yeah. <laughs> poor one out for Roger. Mm, always. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Paul Roger, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about where the fuck is Lee Scoresby right now, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachemakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time, and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well.